entering the Freedom Hut. It's almost Thanksgiving, everybody, so let's hang out. We'll do a show. That's what's coming up. This, this is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission, or mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Wednesday before Thanksgiving. A lot of people are off today. A lot of people in the media business are taking their vacation. You will notice that here I am in the Freedom Hut with producer Brandon. We are holding down the fort. We are on the front lines of freedom right now, not just running off to eat our turkeys and our mashed potatoes and obviously stuffing. I also have to say that I think stuffing should become something that you don't just eat on Thanksgiving. Now, people might say to me, Buck, how would you know? Uh, There's gluten-free stuffing, and it is amazing. Because all stuffing is fantastic. It's just an excuse to eat little cubes of seasoned bread. And then whatever other food you want, you drip into that. And you turn into this like mush that absorbs all the other, the, the, the turkey gravy, the cranberry, the cranberry sauce, you know, whatever other, you know, this is the. For someone who has had uh, just a box of croutons to eat. Stuffing you is my jam. You, yeah, you yeah. respect it. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, all you need to do is take a box of croutons, add some water, kind of mush it up, put it in the microwave. Bam! So, something like that, yeah. Instant <laughs> stuffing. Boom. Minds blown, everybody at home. No, we are going to talk some news today, obviously. I'm not just going to bring you here to hang out and talk about Thanksgiving things. Although I do have this vision in my head that as all of you listen to this show, you are, well, some of you will be on the road uh, or in the, well, in the air. If you've downloaded the show on podcast, you could listen because... Everyone travels uh, quite, not everybody, but a lot of people travel quite a distance. Uh, They travel quite a bit in order to get to see loved ones over this holiday. And so I I feel like I'm hoping that I'm keeping you company for either your Thanksgiving travel or your pre-Thanksgiving feast preparations. Because my understanding is, I mean, that turkey can take a really long time, especially if you have to thaw it. So... I guess you're not sitting there watching the turkey thaw. That wouldn't be the most exciting thing ever. But there are certainly things that one can do to get ahead of the game. Um, my my family, we always have quite a spread of treats and sweets and things before the main meal. And you pretty much have had a meal before you sit down for the big game. This year, I might try to I might try to leave a little extra room. So anyway, we'll, we'll get more into Thanksgiving. How people are triggered by Thanksgiving now? It's a colonial holiday. Nothing can be fun. Nothing can be something that brings all the American people. It's not a religious holiday. You can imbue it with your own religious significance if you want. But even still, the truth here is that uh, it's something that we can't even look at as a universe, a universal outside the jurisdiction of wokeness and political correctness holiday. I don't want to spend too much time on that, though. Hunter Biden. Back in the news today, oh man! You can tell I've got a little bit of a little bit of the pre-holiday time to roll. Let's get out there and party vibe going here. But I'm gonna I'm gonna do the show. It's gonna be a strong show today. It's gonna be a strong show. It's not a. By the way, this is some people do their Thanksgiving Wednesday show like a week in advance or something. No, none of that. None of that weak sauce here. None of that weak thin gravy 
in the Freedom Hut. We're doing a real show. Producer Brandon's here. Does he want to be here? No. He wants to be sitting, eating a giant turkey drumstick, hanging out, probably watching football. But instead, we're doing a show. Uh, Hunter Biden back in the news. Let's get into that for a moment, shall we? Um, He's back in the news because there is a report from the New York Post that says that Hunter Biden is believe. This is what it says. Hunter Biden suspected of smoking crack in D.C. strip club VIP room. And for this, I say this is just an allegation. There's no proof of this yet. And perhaps Hunter Biden just needed to find a quiet place to read up on strategies to improve the efficiencies of the Ukrainian natural gas market, because we know he's quite an expert in that. But this is the fellow that the media will will immediately jump down your throat. They will yell at you. They will be quite upset at you if you say anything about how it seems quite corrupt for this fellow to be on the board when his father was. It's, it seems like something you wouldn't allow to happen if you were really concerned with good governance and avoiding the appearance of, of corruption. In fact, there is a, a piece today I read about what ethics rules usually are for a White House, and it's supposed to be that the, the mere perception, the appearance of corruption, is enough for someone to recuse themselves from an area. Which raises the question, why wouldn't... Joe Biden step away from the Ukraine portfolio if his son was, in fact, going to be on the board of this company. Why not? What is there to lose? We have so many experts on Ukraine, as you've seen. We've had all these people come forward who, you know, I've been working on Ukraine for the National Security Council for the last 15 years. I'm, I'm the world's greatest expert on Ukraine. All these different figures, all these folks coming forward to tell us what needs to happen with Russia and Ukraine. And yet here we are now. Being told that it was obvious that there was an appearance of corruption between Hunter Biden and uh, his father and the situation with Burisma. And also, this guy is quite a disaster, really. I mean, Hunter Biden has had a track record that's stunning. The fact that he has worked with some of the law firms and different organizations that he has, given the reality of his past is just further testament to, in fact, how corrupt he really is, how much this was a a perception, at least, of a pay-for-play scheme. And can't that be enough? If I am going to be a Ukrainian oligarch, if I'm going to war game this out from their perspective, if I'm the head of Burisma, I don't need to necessarily write out some contract for Hunter Biden that says you will speak to your father and do something illegal here in order to help us. I just want you on the board so that people know that you're protected. You know, within the within the ranks of the mafia, if there's a made guy who is with you, it doesn't really matter if the made guy is telling everybody you can't touch this other individual or not because he's rolling with a made guy. For our purposes in this analogy, Hunter Biden was like a made mafioso. You couldn't you can't touch him. Remember, this is also in the movie The Departed with Jack Nicholson. He goes, it's actually Jack Nicholson's right-hand man, whose name I forget from the movie, uh, who says there are guys you can't touch. And, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio gets a lesson in who he can and can't hit, essentially. Uh, Hunter Biden on the board of Burisma was, this is a company that it's going to be harder to hit, at least. And that's why he was there. Uh, He also was in a place, an establishment that I lived very near in D.C. called Archibald's. 
which uh, that that is the allegation in the New York Post. I I cannot say whether or not this is Archibald is it's considered a gentleman's club. I do not think there are a whole lot of gentlemen who frequent this establishment. Uh, it was a a point of jest for many of us in D.C. to say. Who go, it's right on K Street, right near some of the big fancy law firms. It's right in the midst of all the swampiness. You have this, uh, I believe, the Gentleman's Club Cabaret. Is another, it's a strip club, right? So this is, I don't know. We use these different terms, but it's a strip club. Um, I have. I don't even know anybody in D.C. who's been in this place. It is. It has something of an uh, a place of ill of, of some ill repute. I think you could say Hunter Biden might have been, in, and it's not just Hunter Biden was in there. He might have been in there. Uh, According to the New York Post, smoking crack, um, which is uh, pretty stunning. And this guy's father is supposed to now be, according to Democrats, the, the president of the United States coming up in 2020. This is what this is what I, I keep coming back to. You have Democrats who complain and and cry about how Trump is ruining the prestige of the presidency and that he is so not presidential in his approach and that we need people who are just more serious in the role. And then they offer up Hillary Clinton, Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders. They offer up these figures that I look at them and I said, this is, I mean, the Democratic Party is not sending us their best. Are they? Is this really their best? I think they would have to answer yes. They have no other alternative right now. People are very concerned in Democrat ranks. I'm starting to see this percolating through the media, you'll also hear people behind uh, closed doors and in back channel talking about this, that if Bernie or perhaps even Warren were to get the nomination, certainly Bernie, it has been said that Barack Obama might speak out against, or I should say before he could get the nomination, if it looks like he would, Barack Obama may speak out against Bernie Sanders. That would cause quite a fracture in the Democratic Party. And I'm not sure how they would really be able to handle that unless there was some plan to put a long shot, or no, I shouldn't say long shot, a as yet undeclared candidate in the mix. And this is where we get into our, is it Hillary? Is it Michelle Obama? Uh, people have thrown around the name Oprah here as well. Look, I, how could anyone say that Oprah wouldn't be a serious candidate when you see the candidacy that Donald Trump was able to run as somebody who really understands media? Donald Trump is a free media genius. This is how he was able to beat Hillary Clinton. He understands how to create a story, how to create drama and tension through the press. And they always think that because they're able to put their spin on things, that they're doing more damage to Trump than than benefit that he's getting out of it. The reality is that they're often showing everybody who they are and putting shining the light on Trump or some issue that he wants to talk about. So uh, Hunter Biden and the, and the corruption situation is going to continue to be a problem for Democrats. I'll never forget Anderson Cooper, the only really memorable moment of whatever Democrat debate that was, where he said there's no evidence or without evidence to Joe Biden that you did anything wrong in Ukraine. Well, no, there's there's no allegation of criminal conduct, but there's already proof of doing something wrong. What, what they did was was gross. It was unethical, just like they can make the claim that what President Trump did on that phone call with the Ukrainian president, President Zelensky, that that was unethical. They can make that argument. I disagree with it. Uh, but it's not illegal. And the pretense that it is illegal, the the make-believe story the Democrats tell themselves that if they just get upset enough about this and talk enough about this, 
they will manage to convince people that this is that it was illegal uh, just goes to show you that they're willing to twist the law in ways that it is unrecognizable in order to go after a uh, the primary political opponent right now who is uh, who is Donald Trump. So we should look at this. By the way, Josh, I think it's Josh Hammer wrote a great piece in the New York Post where he's saying we have to stop focusing in. A lot of New York Post shout outs today. I don't know what the, I don't know what's all about. You know, the Post is a, it's a good paper. You know, it's a, got a good editorial page. Headline, the best headlines in the business. I'll give them that. Um, but the the Post today uh, has this piece by Josh Hammer where he's talking about how by fighting on the issue of the quid pro quo, we're not really understanding what is at stake here and what the issues really are, because quid pro quos do happen all the time. Mick Mulvaney was right, even though he got you know, just hammered for this. Mick Mulvaney was correct when he said there are quid pro quos in foreign policy all the time. And so Hammer says in his editorial, and this is a continuation or a, a version, I should say, of what I've been telling you, that because politicians have First Amendment rights to say different things about what they're going to do in policy because they have the right to speak and share their their ideas to criminalize someone saying do this or and, and I will do this as a politician uh, in the way the Democrats are trying to do would open itself to all kinds of mischief. Then the issue of the quid pro quo just becomes do Democrats like this, this quid pro quo or not? Is it an abuse of power or not based upon their perception of whether there is some benefit for the president? You know, bribery is a very specific thing. They have tried to expand the definition of bribery to include this will look you're a politician who does things in the political realm. If this thing that you want done gets done, it would be good for you politically. Therefore, you're guilty of bribery. As I've been saying all along, this is absurd. That means that any political act could conceivably be construed uh, construed as bribery, which just goes to show you that if, if everything is bribery, nothing is bribery. So I think that that's uh, that's it's gone into the the level of of silliness. Uh, it's absurd, but they're going to continue on with this. There's no doubt in my mind that Democrats are going to impeach this president. No, no doubt whatsoever, um, because there's no feasible way for them to back away at this point. They have to. They have to do this in their in their own minds. That's what's going to uh, to happen. Um, and with that, my friends, I want to turn to uh, DN- a, a fellow from the uh, DNC, vice chair, I believe, of the DNC, appeared yesterday on Fox News. Hold one second. As I was saying, you had a uh, member of the DNC senior staff. I believe he's the vice president, vice chair, something of the DNC. Um, I've I've had him on my show before at the Hill. I found him to be um, uh, snide and rude. And he was quite snide and rude when he appeared on Michael Blake is in DNC vice chair. I, that's that's right. Uh, this is what he shows up on Fox News to talk about Democratic candidates. And th- this is what he does. Play clip two. Well, she's not running. But the, the core question is, why the hell does Tucker Carlson still have a job here in the first place? Uh, the reality is this is someone who said white supremacy is a hoax. Uh, and why does Fox allow him to still be here in okay. the first place? All right. Well, I mean, his opinion there is that Michelle Obama may get in this race. Do you think that will happen or it's do not you gonna, not going to happen? Not, not going to happen. But I think the, the core question is he shouldn't be on here at I all. Get it. We didn't bring you on to talk about Tucker Carlson. I brought you on to talk about the Democratic field. This is somebody who's representing the Democratic National Committee. This is somebody who's supposed to show us 
that we would be at a better we'd be heading to a better politics if we only had a Democrat president and, and a Democrat House and Senate. I mean, that's what the DNC wants. And he acted like a complete jerk on Bill uh, Bill Hemmer's show. And Hemmer, by the way, is a very fair minded guy, very decent guy, does a good show. Uh, does give people on both sides a fair shake to speak, you know, Democrat and Republican. He's he's uh, he tries to play it as straight uh, as a as a as a journalist or a TV journalist as as he can, I think. And this guy, Michael Blake, was acting like a total a total jerk. I mean, just no manners, no decency was ever going on to trash his colleague who's not there. That's just it's a it's a cowardly move. He's not there to talk. He wasn't asked to talk about Tucker Carlson. He's asked to come talk about whether Michelle Obama is going to possibly get into the race, and he just uses an opportunity. So I, I just pointed this to show you. This is somebody who's very senior in the DNC apparatus, and this is just showing you what the reality is of the Democrats, that they, they're they not going to be nice if Trump loses. They're not going to be kinder and, and better politicians than Trump has been. This is all a, this is all a myth, it's all a mirage. It doesn't exist. Democrats have embraced a hysteria and a viciousness and a person and a politics of personal destruction that Trump is an antidote to in many ways, that he is an answer to. He is there as a means of pushing back and fighting back against the political machinery of the left that just seeks to crush and destroy and control. Trump is the guy you want by your side in a bar fight. And in 2020, this this election is going to be a political bar fight unlike anything you've ever seen before. But just remember, the other side, anytime they talk about civility or Trump's tone, they're the worst when it comes to that stuff. The absolute worst. And Trump just gives them some of their own medicine. Wishing you all a happy Thanksgiving. Be safe. May God bless you, your families, and the United States of America. Thank you. That was First Lady Melania Trump, uh, who is certainly arguably the most uh, iconic from a fashion and style perspective, the most beautiful for those who care about uh, the way the fashion magazines like to portray First Ladies and how how they're supposed to be a representation of America and all this stuff. I mean, uh, First Lady Melania Trump is... Obviously stunning and, and highly fashionable, and all she does is talk about the issues that are that are really non political. You know, be nice to people. She's trying to say happy Thanksgiving here, and she's getting people are booing her. You know, I was just talking to you a second ago about how you, you can't buy into the lie, a lie the left is going to want to tell you or is telling you every day that they're they're nicer. That Trump, that the Republican Party is now a party of meanness because of Trump. No, Trump is in many ways a response to the viciousness of the left and the lack of any sense that there can be something that is non-political. There are some areas where we can come together as Americans and be decent to each other and, oh, I don't know, come together and give thanks as a country and not have it be a political food fight and not have all the the nonsense social justice warrior uh, criticisms of Thanksgiving as a holiday. But no, the, the left has decided that they want a state of constant political warfare in every place on every issue, and there can be no respite from it. Sports is not a respite from it. National holidays is not a respite from it. It, it has to continue on always. 
uh, you know, that there are people booing Melania Trump. I mean, I would tell you this: if if people at a at a Thanksgiving event like this, where Melania, where the first lady's just there to try to, you know, be a, a nice representation of the first family at, at a given point in time, if people had booed Michelle Obama, I would have thought that they were jerks too. Now, let, let's let's keep this consistent. If you boo if you boo any first lady who's showing up saying Happy Thanksgiving to everybody, you know, show a little class, you know. But the left has no class. This is why the left, they're always showing up and interrupting events and shouting people down and protesting and cancel culture and get this person fired and get them thrown off the Internet platforms, make them lose their job. This isn't an anomaly for them now. This is who the left has become. They embrace all of that. They don't they don't in any way repudiate it when there are these movements to humiliate and destroy their political opponents, which, uh, it, look, it always brings me back to, I mean, Kavanaugh was a political 9-11 moment for many of us. 9-11 in the sense that it was a change, a, a dramatic change in perception of the reality that we are living in. That was a national security and U.S. safety in the face of a terrorist threat change in perception. But for, for our politics in America now, uh, Kavanaugh was a turning point, certainly a turning point for me, and I've talked to many friends about this. If they could do that to him, if they could destroy or try to destroy that man in that way with so much dishonesty and viciousness and just lack of basic human sympathy for a, for a father, a husband, a good man, they do it to anybody for any reason, by the way. You know, it doesn't matter if you're a public figure. They will make you a public figure. If it becomes a benefit to the left to make an example of you, you think you're just walking to your car with the groceries, but all of a sudden some incident happens and they've got a you know, video camera out there and now you're public enemy number one. They want to destroy you. No sense of good faith, no willingness to show any grace or mercy. So I just want to be very clear about that. Uh, you know, as we're going into this holiday, we'll have a couple of days here where there's not as much of a, a focus on politics. Uh, do not do not believe the people who will tell you this is something that I come up with, too, that basically Trump is such a bad man. This is what you always hear. I've heard this from some associates and friends of mine recently. Uh, they'll say to me, this was said to me recently, you're too nice and, and, and decent a person to support Donald Trump. This is a an, an attack on not an attack on me, but this is a way that people will try to criticize my support of the president. They say, look at how you conduct yourself and how you speak to people versus the way he does. And I turn around to him and I say, but I don't – Donald Trump is not America's you know, kindergarten teacher. Donald Trump is not there to – we're going to say he's there to, to provide a personal exemplar of, of conduct, not just in office, but before he even entered office. That's a, that would be a new standard, really. Uh, you know, George W. Bush was not an exemplar of fantastic conduct in his life that we all should look up to before. I mean, look, you know, we, we can all be honest here, right? We're all adults. I mean, Bush had some problems and he was a trust fund baby. OK, so, yeah, and, you know, Trump inherited a lot of money, too, if we're going to talk about this. And don't even get me started on Bill Clinton. Well, this is not the standard that I hold politicians to. And I don't think we should. I think it's actually strange. On the one hand, you have people who will tell you. That the problem of Trump is a problem of a cult. It's a form of of uh, destructive hero worship and that he is being elevated as though he's a monarch, as though he's a dictator. Um, 
Robert Redford, by the way, uh, Robert Redford is. <laughs> he wrote an editorial. Uh, one of these, like, now Trump has gone too far. I was like, first of all, is a Robert Redford? Is he still? Is he still doing things? What's his What's his situation? Like, I don't even know he was still out there. But I gotta love when these actors, these Hollywood types, whether it's De Niro or Redford, they're like, all right, that's it. This changes everything. Robert Redford has written an editorial about how Trump is like a dictator. Um, but I have to tell you, on on the one, I think there's a a disconnect. There's a disparity here because the uh, argument against Trump is so often from from the left. They'll say that there's a cult of personality. Look, every national politician in this country, there's some a little bit of a cult of personality around them. It doesn't mean that that's something we should aspire to, but it it has to be there. Just the same way that if you're going to run for president, you have to be a narcissist. I mean, you have to really believe that you are special. Maybe you believe that you're chosen by chosen by God. Um, I also think that there are people more likely to be Democrats than Republicans. But I do think that there are people who would say that just as a as a cynical form of, of self-promotion as politicians. Well, of course, I think I'm uh, it's not that I want to run. It's that I am or, or, you know, God has chosen me to run. Some people believe it. Some people don't. I can't I can't see in their hearts. I don't know which politicians mean that and which ones are are being disingenuous. But they say that we are engaged in hero worship of Trump. But then they also will tell us that we are supposed to look to the president to be the example for our children. And, you know, that, oh, look at his language or look what he did here, or what he said there. Um, I, I view him as a person who is doing a job. And that's where I'd want to say today, a transition for a moment into how we should be thankful for the job that he's doing. It is going so much better than we were told. I mean, if we're going to be thankful for, first and foremost, be thankful for your health, your family, um, and the fact that those of you who are, and m- most of the most of Team Buck is is here in America, not all. We've got Canada, military bases around the world. They're obviously American, but they're not in the uh, in the fifty states right now. Uh, the ones who are inter- international bases. Um, and there's some other folks who listen in Israel, I know. So we have some people all over the world. But if you're listening to this and you are an American, um, you are incredibly lucky just by virtue of that fact. Uh, you are lucky because you are a part of a political community that is the most powerful, uh, most influential, most free and most prosperous in the history of the world. If you start to break down the numbers on that, I mean, what are the chances that you would be born an American at this point in time instead of you know, born in ancient Sumeria and like lucky to you know hit your third birthday. I mean, if you you look at the the chances of being born at a time when people are starting to think about how soon we're going to hit you know triple digit life expectancy as the norm and the amount of time that we have to pursue the life of the mind. And I know we don't do it as as much as we should. And I really am thinking about cutting my cable cord. But I think I'm going to do it. Yeah, the only reason I have it is so I can see news. Uh, I can see cable news coming in sometimes, but that's not. I don't think that's enough for me anymore. I get everything I need digitally, and I think it'd be better to just read more books and read more articles and just kind of bag it and watch Netflix and those things that I want. But anyway, but you you have back to being thankful and not my cable news uh, proclivity or lack thereof. Here's what I would say: We should all take a moment to be thankful for the most important things. Your loved ones, your health, and the fact that you are alive at this time, it is, it is an amazing and glorious thing to be alive at this point in human history. Um, 
I would also say, and I, I had a, I had a feeling this morning that I wasn't sure I was going to share with you or not, but um, I do think that things are particularly strong right now. Things are going very well. I, I get a little, little uh, twinge of ominousness. That there's something ominous over the horizon in 2020. I don't. I couldn't tell you what it is. I don't. You know, I always say nobody can predict the future, and don't trust anybody who says they can. Um, but we're we're going to head into some. This is where all the cliched analogies come up. You know, the stormy waters. We're going something because right now things just feel a little bit too mm, stable, positive, strong, and there is always there are ups and downs, my friends. Um, you look at what was said to be the future of a Trump presidency. What they were telling us would happen. Um, you look at that and then you see what's actually happening. And first of all, they obviously can, you know, the, the Tom Friedman's and the Paul Krugman's, the New York Times editorial board, Washington Post editorial board, uh, MSNBC analysts and anchors and CNN. And uh, they were all so wrong that nobody should ever feel obligated to listen to them ever again about about anything. Um, but people will because everyone likes to have their their own political biases reflected back to them via the articles they read, the news stories that pop up on their screen, the cable shows that they watch at night. The smart people watch or listen to the Buck Sexton show because it keeps them safe and warm at night. Or they check out my man Jesse Kelly as well, who's also on Pluto TV, Channel 248, the first. Give him a little shout out heading into Thanksgiving. The, uh, the reality is that America is in a, an incredibly prosperous moment. Uh, we do not have a major war. I know we have military. We still have some military combat operations going on. There's some sweeping up remnants of ISIS happening in Syria. There's still stabilization efforts in Afghanistan, which I think, unfortunately, in the long term are doomed to failure. But we don't have uh, we don't have a war going on right now where we're losing hundreds of people a day, casualties in a war. Uh, and that was that has been reality cyclically. Throughout our our history, it's just a period of of time that we tend to have this degree of peace. So as you go home and you are about to carve up the turkey and dole out the sweet potatoes with, I I like it. My mom, my my mom does an amazing uh, Mrs. Sexton, meaning my mom. I don't. There's not a Mrs. Sexton for me yet. We're working on. We're working on it. We're working on it. Um, my mom does amazing classic Thanksgiving feast, but she does she does the um, marshmallows with the sweet potato, the browned marshmallow on top of the sweet potato, which I got to say it is decadent, but it is quite it is quite delicious. Uh, I would also tell you that marshmallows, I think, are generally an overrated food. That's right. It's not that good. You know, you, you, you're ever like, oh, I just want to eat up a whole bunch of marshmallows. I don't think so. You got to burn them and put chocolate. on. You burn anything and put chocolate on it. It's going to taste OK. So it's just. Carbon and chocolate. Back to the Thanksgiving, uh, the part about being thankful right now. I Look, I don't sit around and make crazy predictions and then hope one of them comes true so I can tell you that I'm some kind of prophet or something. Other people do that on their radio shows. I don't like to do that here. Um, we're going to hit something bad next year. I just have a feeling. I can't. I don't know what it is, but the election's going to be nasty. I'm not talking about that. It's not, something's, we're going to hit something rough. And so I just know... I've been around long enough to know that you, wherever you are across the country, around the world, um, my fellow Americans, take a moment to feel the 
blessings that we really do have in this country right now. You have your individual blessings, then you have the more general, this period in time, this point in history blessings. And um, it's remarkable. I mean, this country, we are not in the midst of a huge war. We are not in the midst of a recession. You know, the, the biggest problem most of us deal with in terms of what the news is reporting on has to do with whether we're going to argue about politics or not. And oh, perhaps that's a place to transition. Do not believe these articles or do not uh, listen to these experts who are <laughs> there's this whole industry of how to talk to your relatives about politics during Thanksgiving without making anybody too upset. No, do not do not do this. Uh, do not do this, please. That's not the way. That's not the way to make everybody everybody happy. I, I couldn't believe that this was really stunning. It was it. Uh, I'm trying to think what the group was here. The NNAF abortion funds Twitter account put this out. Talking with your family about abortion isn't always easy. If you're visiting loved ones for the holidays this time of year, check out our guide for talking about abortion, including graphics and a toolkit. That, they said toolkit. I'm not. That's that's what was in the tweet. Uh, no, do not. All right. I, I do politics every day. I work in politics for a living or, you know, political media, whatever we call this. Not a journalist. Not even really sure what I am. Just a guy with some thoughts and does some things. Uh, do not. Bring up highly contentious political. You you already know this. I mean, everyone already knows this. You know, you understand if you got a family where that's. I mean, my family, it's always fun because we're all we're all on Team America in the Sexton family, so we don't have to worry about it. But you know, I mean, in other families, I know there's a little more sensitivity about this, and uh, I've I've seen what can happen when these conversations go awry. So, but this is why people have football and they have. Movies and they have things that you can talk about where everyone can have an opinion and just share, exchange ideas, and not get into a contentious exchange with the with the other side of the table about whether Bernie Sanders is really going to deliver free health care for everybody and life is going to be great and everything will be fantastic. No, he is not correct, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Enjoy your your stuffing and your turkey and your. Green beans. I think we do green beans probably in the sex and how green beans are good. You know, green beans are good because they're very easy to wrap in other foods, you know, on your plate to kind of mush them in with mashed potatoes or sweet potato or stuffing. And then you feel like you're getting some greens. So somehow the twenty five hundred calorie or three thousand calorie Thanksgiving feast that you are uh, shoveling into your mouth is, is a bit healthier because you've got green beans. That'll be a part of a mix. So. That's the advantage. That's the advantage that I see there. All right, team, when do you want to spot that burglar? When he's casing your home or after he's in? Well, you could ask John, whose Blink camera alerted him to burglars trying to break in while he and his family were home. Or Shannon, whose Blink camera caught a thief stealing packages. Both times, Blink video clips were sent to police to help convict the crooks. Blink motion-activated indoor and outdoor cameras are wire-free, set up in minutes, and run on two lithium batteries that last up to two years. And when you're away, Blink's live feed option lets you monitor your home and check in on kids and pets from anywhere using your Blink smartphone app. No contracts, totally affordable. In fact, Blink systems start at just $79.99. Thanks to Blink, home security just got easier. Visit BlinkProtect.com slash buck. BlinkProtect.com slash buck. One more time, team. BlinkProtect.com slash buck. 
Also available on Amazon and at Best Buy, Blink is an Amazon company and it works with Alexa. Blinkprotect.com slash buck. In any event, I expect this pardon will be a very popular one with the media. After all, turkeys are closely related to vultures. I don't know if I like that line, but there is a little truth to it. But today, after the birds, we'll retire to Gobbler's Rest at Virginia Tech, great college, where they will be cared for and enjoy a terrific life. They should retire this tradition. We, we don't need this bizarre pardoning of the turkey thing anymore. And I'm not trying to be the Thanksgiving Grinch. Although I will be the Christmas Grinch because I will tell you all as it gets closer how once you have children who are above the age of of 12, I think Christmas gifts, just try one year not doing the Christmas gift thing and just spend time together and forget about. But I know people get mad. Oh, but stores need and everything else. People, it's different now, man. You can buy stuff for people. Buy them a gift whenever you want. You don't have to wait until Christmas time to get gifts. You sit there on your phone and order anything you want to order for anybody. Um, but I know it's very, very commercialized. The Christmas holiday is. I, Thanksgiving is also commercial, at least for uh, grocery stores and everything else. And I, I'm all down with with most of the traditions and the way that we talk about. What well, I actually, I feel like they've started to push the whole pilgrim narrative and all that out of it. You know, we don't hear about this so much anymore. And there's some, there are some early, uh, some of the earliest settlements had some experiments with socialism and with communal property, believe it or not. And it didn't work out well. What a shock when people had their own plot of land and they were responsible for uh, that land and also were able to benefit from having it be better tended. I'm talking now about the earliest uh, colonists, the earliest settlers, people that were showing up here. Wearing those funky shoes with the little little buckles on them, look like look like leprechauns. You know what I mean? Those ones. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, the Puritans, Plymouth Rock. Uh, they showed up and they had communal ownership of some of the property, and that turned out to not be a good thing. So they started to go, wait a second, maybe we should have ownership of land. I also love the the lack of uh, of an honest assessment of what ha- what went on with native peoples before the. European settlers showed up in this country. We always hear that there was no sense of ownership of land. Yeah, and yet there were there were uh, tribes, uh, notably like the Comanche, uh, among others, that were infamous for going to neighboring tribes and wiping everybody out and taking all their stuff. So I, I do think they did have a sense of of property. They just didn't have a sense of writing and uh, the rule of law was not codified, but they like to create this mythology of a, a perfect, a utopia that existed here before the settlers arrived. As you know, I've talked to you about this in the context of, of Columbus Day, where the storyline is that everything was great here. And then we showed up and we re-ruined it, basically. And now we need to be saying, sorry, there was a piece in The Guardian today uh, the UK paper, not that anyone really cares what the UK has to say about Thanksgiving, because we're thankful that we don't have to deal with their, their dumbass monarchy. What a ridiculous. I'm sorry. Now, not just because of the disgusting Prince Andrew situation, but just in general. So, oh, the monarchy, the queen. 
we we have to all sit around and, and bow, and it's for tradition, and they get to just be sort of rich and fancy for no apparent reason. No. No, we fought, we fought a little war, so we did not have to bow and scrape and bend the knee to a bunch of people that have done nothing to nothing to deserve the praise they get from the, the British. But anyway, that's I might even try to watch some of this. Everyone loves this show, The Crown, which I have to say, I've, I tried. To, I thought it was very boring. I, maybe I'm alone in this one. I just I couldn't get into it. Well, you know, different different strokes for different folks. <sighs> Where was I? Oh, yes. On the, uh, the the native peoples and the way that Thanksgiving is now. Thanksgiving is considered an imperialist and colonialist holiday uh, in the academy. It hasn't really caught on yet because people do like an excuse to eat a really big, rich meal and to be with their families. And because it's not an explicitly religious holiday, although I think it goes all the way back to George Washington and you know people giving thanks. And uh, well, obviously, it goes back even before. But when it was turned into a holiday, an official holiday, you needed to have a country first. Right. So uh, it was something that we could do a, a whole Thanksgiving history, perhaps on another day, although I don't know how Fasting that would be for all of you. But the storyline is always that the native peoples in this country, uh, not just in this country, but in North America in general, were living in a state of, of harmony. And then we came along and we're the exploiters and the, the oppressors and did all these terrible things. Meanwhile, if you look at the reality of what was happening in the New World, uh, particularly in the context of the Aztecs and the Mayas, uh, Mayans rather, um, there was a system of slavery and exploitation that was going on before we ever arrived because people are people all over the world and if you're looking at what was going on in the you know 15th century 16th centuries that people were doing bad stuff all over the world there was no place that was this utopia where people where everyone lived in harmony with the land and you know the, the, the one one thing that liberals never seem to really understand is that nature is actually quite unforgiving and destructive. You see this with all the different uh, versions that they put out in, in pop culture of of native peoples living in in harmony with the land. I mean, you know, you look at Dances with Wolves, for example. Oh, they, everything was the, the Native American tribes there were living in this this world of everything was beautiful and they just lived off the land and everything's fine. Uh, and then you can even see, I mean, the plot of Dances with Wolves is completely taken by the movie what was the movie with the blue the blue aliens the blue alien movie you know what I'm talking about the blue alien movie Avatar Avatar yeah I'm gonna say it one of the worst movies I've ever seen (laughs) in my life and I saw it in the special 3D oh look the the thing is like the weird jellyfish in the sky is flying to my face no it was bad it was not a good movie and I've, I've been told it's also the same plot from Fern Gully which I never saw. Is that correct? Fern Gully has the same. You should watch that. Really? Yeah. I mean, maybe it would fall. It wouldn't work with you because I watched it as a kid, and it's more like a kid's movie. But yeah, it's the same plot. Same basic plot, right? So the the bad people show up, the exploiters, and all these things. The reality of of Mother Nature is that, especially for societies that were pre-industrial and and didn't have even basic agricultural. Uh, implements or or systems of animal husbandry, I believe is the is the correct term. I'm amazed at how many Americans don't even know that the the Native Americans in this country did not they did they did they did not have a culture of of uh, horseback riding until the European Spanish 
uh, colonists showed up. That was where they got horses. There, there, there was not. We think of you know the Plains Indian. Uh, pardon me, Plains Native Americans. Plains Native Americans. That is the appropriate terminology. Uh, but tribes like tribes like the the Sioux and the. Uh, I mentioned Comanche before, Apache, you know, that they're riding horses. That was actually something that came as part of, yes, the colonial, uh, the colonial conquest of of America. Well, I just think this is a fascinating part of that. That just gets left out. People are like, oh, yeah. No, they had horses because of us. But what I'm trying to say about Mother Nature and the way it can be quite brutal is that for those societies, I mean, there were, famine was a regular occurrence. Um, people would run out of food. People would freeze to death. People would, uh, would would die because of exposure to the elements. And so there's always this this story, this uh, this make believe world that liberals conjure up of you know, pre European, pre industrial societies uh, were were living in harmony with Mother Nature. When the reality is that they were living at the whim of Mother Nature most of the time, and life was. Uh, to borrow from Hobbes, often nasty, brutish, and short. So if we're just going to have these conversations about whether Thanksgiving is a colonial holiday, I think we should be honest about what life was like here beforehand. What ways did it get better? What ways did it not? Obviously, there was a lot of very terrible things that were done to the uh, Native peoples by the colonial settlers. Uh, Some of the Native peoples did some terrible things to the the settlers as well. We know about that. Um, it was mostly a function of disease that wiped out the Native American population in this country. I think about 90. The real estimates are over 97 percent of casualties after the uh, the conquest of, of North America. Well, of the Americas, I should say, came from disease, primarily uh, smallpox and influenza. So we always are told about the genocide that occurred and, and that we have to constantly be uh, apologizing for this and that this is something that all Americans should we should carry some stain of shame over the genocide. There were very bad things that happened. I'm familiar with uh, the different ways that Native peoples were uh, killed and rounded up and put on reservations. But a vast majority of the extinction of Native peoples that occurred in the New World was the result of disease. So it was just it was a highly unfortunate situation for people whose immune systems uh, had not been exposed to disease the way they had in the Western and primarily Mediterranean world. So anyway, I just think that if we're going to talk about the colonial back background of Thanksgiving, we should have a more open and honest discussion. But, okay, well, what what were the good parts of this? What were the bad parts of this? What were the aspects of, you know, we're we're giving thanks in the new world. Uh, Do we have to focus so much in our contemporary context on how things back then weren't there was no wokeness there was no social justice there was a lot of yes racism and exploitation and bad things happening does that mean we're not allowed to just get together and give thanks today for all the all the the benefits and bounty and wondrous stuff in this land you know they really do believe uh, they want to change then i'm trying to see what the name is. i think trump said that there's an effort to change the name of thanksgiving and that everyone has freaked out and said that that's not True. Here we go. Universities teach students. Here's an example of exactly what I'm talking about. How to decolonize their Thanksgiving. This is in the college fix. As college students across the nation head home for Thanksgiving, they're armed with the knowledge to decolonize their holiday. 
quote, by taking how you can eat your turkey and decolonize Thanksgiving, too. That's an event uh, that is happening on college campuses. And thanks, but no Thanksgiving, decolonizing an American holiday. Uh, This is amazing. There's an article here that talk about Professor Wick, in which she encouraged parents to send letters to their children's schools to advocate for a more inclusive approach to discussing Thanksgiving. Wick is an assistant professor of history at St. Mary's University. Uh, Montana State University is having an indigenous dinner on November 13th, including only locally and tribally sourced foods with various stations offering natural Native American dishes. Uh, So now we have to give thanks by eating the foods of the Native peoples here here beforehand. I'm just how long before we're told that that is cultural appropriation? Anybody? How long before that that itself becomes a problem? This is like what I was discussing with you yesterday on the issue of pronouns. Um, They want you to use specific pronouns or to announce your pronouns and also to use specific pronouns. And then when everyone starts announcing their pronouns, if they ever get their way, the problem will be that when people announce their pronouns, some people have to use pronouns that are unexpected. So it doesn't solve any actual problem. It doesn't really make any of this go away. If you celebrate Thanksgiving by having, I don't know what, maize and squash, and I don't know what the the native dishes would be. It depends on what part of the country, right? I, but if you were to borrow from uh, the, the native culture, then you would be guilty of cultural appropriation. So there's really no way to win. These are just people who just want to whine. They just want to complain. They don't want you to just be able to hang out with friends and family and eat way too much which we're all going to do, man, I'm going to have to carve out some time. Forget about carving the turkey. I'm going to carve out some time to get to the gym the day after this, just so I don't feel like a, uh, you know, you know, one of the, you know one of those one of those bullfrogs where you can't even see its legs when it's sort of like, burp. that's what I feel like after Thanksgiving. I, look like, I feel I look like a bullfrog where you can't see any of its limbs because it's just kind of spill. <laughs> it's so gross. It's just kind of spilling out like, burp. that's what I'm going to be like. I would sit there rubbing my belly. I told my, uh, you know, my my parents have an amazing white French bulldog named Tallulah, and um, my parents don't live far from me, so I'm able to go visit on a, on a regular basis here in New York City. And the French bull, she's amazing, she's a beautiful dog, great dog, French bulldogs. You know, Dana Lash, I believe, has a French has, a, I think she has a couple of French bulldogs. She's got great taste in dogs. Uh, Frenchies are so cute. They're great for cities. Those of you that have country, how not country houses, but houses in the country, and you know, yes, if I had. 20 acres or whatever, two acres, an acre. If I had more than a couple hundred square feet to live in, I'd probably get a, a lab or a golden retriever. Oh, maybe, I don't know, maybe a shepherd. A shepherd would be kind of cool. I like Bernice Mountain Dogs, too, but they're enormous. You feel like you want to put a saddle on them for the kids, but don't do that. That's bad. Uh, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, Tallulah. Um, we, we joked around, though, because she's all, she's, all, she's all white. She's an all-white dog, and she's gotten a little up there in years, and she's gotten a little, she's gotten a little pudgy in her old age, and I found a photo, and I showed it to my little sister. She looks like one of those white fur seals that you'll see. <laughs> try to like, they're just like this mound of blubber on the ice. <laughs> and that's how they try to hide from the polar bears. doesn't always work. Uh, the Frenchie looks a little bit like that these days. Oh, mom's going to yell at me for making fun of the Frenchie for being fat, but, you know, whatever. I don't even know. She's, got, she's busy cooking. I don't even know if she's going to see hear or see this show. So, uh, fun things. Give your dog some of the scraps from the table. You know? 
that's I think there's even a uh, there's a parable in the Bible about this, right? That the the gentile the gentile gets the scraps from the table. Give you you know your dog's sitting there seeing that turkey leg up on the table, seeing that giant hunk of delicious baked meat. By the way, baked ham is for Christmas. Turkey is Thanksgiving. Baked ham is Christmas. Let's not get it twisted. Uh, but give your dog a little bit of a munch. You know, give it a couple of munches of it. You know what I mean? They, 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 the, the dog deserves it. Cats, I leave up to you. Do cats even like people food like that? Do people feed cats from the table? Yeah, uh, anytime. Because uh, me and my girlfriend have a cat. And every like anytime with like chicken or even like a little like piece of pizza, you can give it to them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's something new every day. I don't even know. I don't spend much time around cats. There's only one dual-certified, veteran-owned background investigation and vetting company out there, and it is Global Verification Network. My friends at Global Verification Network distinguish themselves from other people in the background check space by doing it all here in the States. They don't subcontract out the work. They're not just a front for other people in oftentimes foreign countries who are the ones doing the actual investigation and assessment. That's why I want you to use Global Verification Network, an all-American veteran-owned background investigation company. If you're hiring people, you know you've got to have background checks done. It's just a part of doing business and a very important one. So I trust Global Verification Network. I know you can, too. Give them a call, 877-695-1179. Again, for any background investigation or vetting needs that you have, call 877-695-1179 or go to mygvn.com. That's mygvn.com. It's kind of amazing that people that spend their lives in politics can make some of the purely political decisions that they do make. Uh, I, I didn't get to talk to you about this before. I sort of throw this in the mix today. Uh, governor, former governor of Massachusetts, Deval Patrick, has said that he's going to run. And, and there's all this reporting that Obama Obama gave him a blessing to run, I think. And um, Deval Patrick had this to say about his race. Uh, Producer Brandon, would you please play 13? And as I've watched the field, many of them, uh, friends, uh, develop and, uh, and, uh, and offer their ma- message. I do sense uh, that there's still uh, space for what I offer. And in fact, as I've gotten out and around over the course of the last 10 days or so, I think that path is even wider than I imagined. I think Deval Patrick's the only one who thinks there's a wide path for him to run for president. I'm just going to put that out there. There was a photo that was circulating over the weekend of Deval Patrick at an event for Deval Patrick, and there was nobody there. Nobody. So they had to cancel the event because no person showed up to the event. Not. I think they said that there were two who walked in and were like, uh, we're not going to be the only two people here. So that's pretty much, I think, all you need to know about Deval Patrick's chances of winning the uh, winning the presidency. I know that this is going to be the big topic for everybody. If you're if you're going to talk politics at the Thanksgiving table, the big topic will likely be the 2020 election and who the best Democrat candidate will be for the uh, 20. You know, who would be the best candidate or who would be the most likely to win? Perhaps if you're a Republican, you're probably more likely to focus on that. Um, I'm still putting my money on Elizabeth Warren, folks, and I'm pretty confident. Welcome back, Tim. Pretty confident that my uh, Elizabeth Warren prediction is going to be wrong. My Biden prediction, I think, is going to be correct, that he's not going to be the nominee. But I still don't know. I still don't know who is going to be the one who steps forward when it's not Biden. It feels like Elizabeth Warren. But her whole her whole Medicare for all uh, debacle 
where she said she was going to pay for it without making anybody else have to pay for it and all these different things. Elizabeth Warren, she's got problems, obviously, for, with her candidacy. There, there are issues that I think are going to going to continue to face her even on the left. And just the fact I know we were talking about Native Americans and, and the Thanksgiving holiday earlier uh, on the show, but just the fact that she has been able to continue on as a viable candidate, despite the fact that she engaged in a multi-decade long racial fraud is is pretty stunning. D- Democrats seem fine with this. Remember, same people who are telling you Trump lies, Trump has a problem with the truth, you can't trust him and all this stuff, have no problem. Never mind Hillary Clinton. Hello! Who is in the uh, in the pantheon of corrupt and dishonest politicians. There's something particularly, uh, for me at least, there's something particularly odious about the way the news media has covered up for Hillary Clinton all these all these years and the ways that she's like, I know you all agree. That's, not, that's nothing particularly new or different. Um, but you know who they're really bashing these days? It's really got all the Democrats a little bit in a, in a foul mood. Michael Bloomberg. Because he's going to... I think that here's his play. I've been thinking about this a lot more last night. Why should we know? First, let's do the bashing, and then we'll get into what his play is. Uh, for example, we have Elizabeth Warren. So I am here on day two of Michael Bloomberg's $37 million ad buy. Michael Bloomberg is making a bet about democracy in 2020. He doesn't need people. He only needs bags and bags of money. This has been disproven so many times. And it's a it's a thing that politicians can only say because they think that their constituencies aren't very bright. Like Elizabeth Warren knows that Jeb Bush spent a vast sum of money and lost the primary, uh, didn't even get close to winning the primary in the 2016 election, that Hillary Clinton dramatically outspent uh, Donald Trump and Donald Trump, as we know, winning. Uh, yet here we are. She's still saying this, that somehow Bloomberg might be able to buy the election, that Michael Bloomberg would be in a position to just run off with this thing because he's got bags of, bags of money to spend on it. And he's not the only one. you got Bernie Sanders, who is very upset. you got another billionaire in the race. The billionaire class is destroying America by engaging in capitalism that creates tremendous prosperity and thousands and thousands of jobs. Can we have a, a little bit of the, the Bernie Sanders vibe on the show, Producer Brandon? Clip one, please. Clip one. And what he believes, and this is the arrogance of billionaires, hey, I can run for president because I'm worth $55 billion. And maybe I'll take $1 billion out of that $55 billion, not a lot when you're worth that much, and I'm going to start running a massive amount of TV ads in California and, in fact, all over this country. And I think that is precisely... One of the factors that is undermining American democracy. Undermining democracy. People being able to use their private property to spread their message is undermining democracy. It is not undermining democracy. Um, But really what Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders want is 
mobocracy, oclocracy. Just get the masses riled up on an issue. Don't let them. It doesn't matter if they know what you really stand for. It doesn't matter if the math you're trying to sell them on doesn't add up. Just do whatever. Do whatever you've got to do in order to get the votes you have to get to be in power to further uh, push America down the very destructive path of of socialism. And this is where I think Bloomberg really comes in. I've I've been thinking more about this. I don't think Bloomberg really believes he's going to be president. Um, I I just, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't see it. He seems like a smart enough guy to know he's not going to win the presidency. But maybe that's not really his his ultimate purpose here. I think he wants, I think if he could win, he, he would take the job and he would do it. I'm not saying that, but... I think he views this as a two-pronged thing. One is the, the yeah the vanity project of running for president, given the very very weak field. Okay, fine. And also, I think he sees what Donald Trump did after all the years that he said he was going to run, and then finally he runs and he wins. But I believe that Bloomberg understands that there's a real threat to everything that the Democrats believe in that comes from the openness. And the intellectual flimsiness, but the openness about the socialism that Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are pushing. Not not that they couldn't win. I think that, unfortunately, especially if we hit a major financial downturn, and this is part of my concern for next year. I've said I I have this something, there's something ominous that just keeps I'm concerned. Things can't stay the way they are right now going into the election. Something's going to happen. If you hit a very bad economic stretch in the election year, who does that benefit the most? It certainly benefits Democrats against Trump. There's no question. Then all of a sudden you'll have news coverage of, oh, the economy and unemployment's going up. And the economy. You know, then all of a sudden it'll be the biggest story in the country every day. I'll flood the zone, even if it's a pretty uh, moderate downturn, even if it's just a cyclical, okay, well, now we got to kind of get some of the excess and get some of the... You know, the bad, bad money out of the system, so to speak. I mean, just sort of let things reset. Um, Even with that, they'll turn it into the biggest news story in the country. And they'll say that this is a a repudiation of Donald Trump. But the the people in the Democratic primary who would benefit the most from this are the far left. I mean, the socialists. People get scared and they turn to the government to save them. Um, people decide that when things get really bad, they never look at root causes and government overspending and intervention and monetary policy and all the things that can make a downturn certainly much worse, if not be the primary cause of a downturn in the economy, the cyclical nature of these things. And there are people that I know who would argue that we shouldn't have to have cyclical, these cyclical downturns um, and that this is the result of monetary policy and central planning of our economy by the, you know, and I People that just study this their whole lives go back and forth on this, and I'm not, you know, I'm not really one of them. Although I do think, I think that central planning is always is always something you want to do the bare minimum of. Just like I think government is something you want to have very clearly delineated and limited. Um, this goes back, of course, to our founding philosophy, but I think that should be the case as well from the perspective of government intervention in the economy. It should be the absolute minimum necessary, really, just the enforcement of contracts and the bare minimum of regulation, and that's not what we have now. But if you were to have a market that all of a sudden becomes really choppy and people get scared and bad things are happening, then 
you would see, I think, a big surge in support for the far left of the Democrat Party. Uh, remember that it was when social, socialism had a big rise in this country as a result of the Great Depression. The, the narrative was that capitalism had failed. In fact, some of the uh, traitors to this country, who were people who were communists, who were doing the bidding of the Soviet Union, and yes, they existed. Yes, that was real. They still pretend like we don't have more than a mountain of evidence, which we do, that there were penetrations, Soviet penetrations of the United States government uh, at, a very, at a very high level, but also that there was tremendous there were there were efforts from the Soviet Union to infiltrate socialism and yes communism into this country, but there was a, an openness to it. The fellow travelers of the uh, the Communist Party in Moscow in this country believed that capitalism had failed, and they looked around. They saw all this economic devastation and said, "See, we we need a system where the government will will make sure that we are fed and everything is fair and everything will be better." That became a belief that was really easy for people of honestly of good intention initially to support. And so when people get scared, they don't they don't look at the government and say, what did you do? They look at the government and say, how could you help me? So if we head into a bad economic period in the next year, you will see a big surge in support for uh, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and, and anybody who is far left on the Democrat spectrum. And promising a whole lot of free – the free stuff candidate becomes – even though you can afford it even less with a bad economy, the free stuff candidate becomes very, very popular very quickly when all of a sudden everyone is scared. Um, and that's where I think Bloomberg realizes that it's not a good idea for this country to go socialist. Bloomberg, who's a self-made multi-multi-billionaire, understands that at some level. And perhaps he believes that his role here is just to make sure that whoever wins the Democrat primary, it's somebody that at least at a basic level believes in the benefits of capitalism at, at some at some understanding of uh, what really works and how markets make our lives better and how markets bring about prosperity and do things for us as a people that we should all. Yes, dare I say we should be thankful for. We should be thankful for capitalism today. Thankful that we live in a country that is certainly imperfect and has far too much socialism and central planning going on, but is at least in some ways a better example than all of our near peers about how to pursue efficient markets and to empower the individual to make choices that benefit the individual and then in the aggregate those individual decisions that help that, – that are based in self-interest – create a better society around for all of the rest of us. They invent new things. They make good things. They help with things. They provide services that all of us benefit from. That is a lesson that I would hope that perhaps we could be talking about at the Thanksgiving table this year. That would be a, that would be a better one. Tell the kids about why capitalism is great. And that's why they've, you know, you've got families all across the country that are going to be having a giant, I don't know, whatever, like a 20-pound bird or however big. How big are, like, the average turkey? I don't even really know. You know what I mean? How, how big are, like, if you get, like, a standard Thanksgiving turkey, it's like, isn't it like 15 pounds or something? They're big. Did you see that video of the turkey following around the mail truck oh, to yeah. every single stop? Oh, turkeys are terrifying. Dude. Yeah, so they're big enough to do some damage. Turkeys, you know, you start to realize that, you know, there's that whole, I don't know if that theory is still believed in, but that, that you had... 
dinosaurs actually transitioned. And, you know, this was like around the Jurassic Park era when people started saying that they transitioned. Evolved to birds. They evolved into birds over time. You look, you look in the eyes. You look at those little beady eyes of a turkey, and you're like, you, your great great, you know, grandpa was probably a velociraptor. <laughs> I was just about to you say know? that. Yeah. yeah, they look, they look scary. They're mean, and they'll come after you. They'll chase you down. You know, other, other you know, birds. You get too close to birds, you find out the hard way. They, they are not, they're not cuddly, and, and turkeys will chase you down. They can be very, uh, very aggressive. And they are ugly too. They're one of the. If you're thinking like, what is the ugliest animal in the world? I think turkeys have got to be kind of up on that list. And they're really, and they do. You know, you think about like buzzards. I think that buzzards and vultures are uh, very high up on the animals you don't want to be near and spend time around. Scale, you know. Yeah, they just look dirty all the time in that goblet underneath. You don't know what's going on. It's not cool. Yeah, but they taste pretty. They taste pretty good. Um, so we're going to be eating some, we're going to be eating some turkey, and then we're going to have some turkey sandwiches the day after that. And turkey, turkey, turkey for days and days and days. Good things, my friends. I think the concern of this perspective that makes it sound like uh, you know it, it's all the, the fault of uh, uh, students of color or somehow their families uh, that they struggle to get ahead. When the reality is there are so many barriers that our system puts up, uh, and I want to make sure I communicated that I'm very conscious of the advantages and privileges that I have had, not through any great wealth, but certainly through education, uh, through the advantages that come with being white and being male. Uh, and that's part of why I know I've got to make myself useful uh, as a candidate and as president. Pete Buttigieg got into some trouble here with the Democrats because he tried to talk about education and particularly education in minority communities and what could be done to improve things. And uh, this is probably a surprise to none of you listening. But guess what? There are only certain things you're allowed to say uh, when you're talking about minorities in education in America if you are a white male, period. But if you're a white male running for elected office and all you all, the only things you're allowed to say, and this was established once again with Mayor Peter, the only things you're allowed to say is uh, systemic racism, racism, barriers to minorities, more racism and more resources needed because racism. That's it. You deviate from that as a Democrat. You, you go in any other direction, you talk about, well, maybe, well, look, look at how, what are charter schools? Which charter schools are public schools? It's just money that, it, it's just a different format for a public school. But anyway, people, oh, it drains money from public schools. This is a silly, it's a strange argument. Um, but you're not allowed to have an open conversation about education when education is uh, failing in so many underprivileged minority communities across the country. It's just, it's just sad. Uh, it's it's really it's really troubling. The, the people that are supposed to be in positions of power that can do something about this or could come up with new ideas um, either are unwilling to or aren't allowed to. They're not allowed to come up with things, uh, ideas to help. I mean, I, I know people that teach in schools here in New York City uh, that are my, that are that are entirely as a as a function of of the way the school is set up uh underprivileged backgrounds people that have to be either from section 8 housing or i forget what the designation is but they have received some form of welfare the school's entirely minority and i hear about what goes on at that school and the problem is not resources uh the problem is not a lack of computers or textbooks i mean these are things that you'll hear the problem is not there's not enough money for teachers or there's not enough teachers that those are not the problems problems are and this is from teachers I know in, in one school in particular here in New York City that's entirely underprivileged and minority. The problems are things like um, students are unwilling to listen to authority. They're unwilling to 
uh, be silent when they're told that it's time for someone to present to the class or they, you know, they don't show up or they there are, there are all these other issues that come up in the classroom and there's no support for students to do their homework at home. This is this is what I hear from teachers all the time. But if you're a Democrat, you can't talk about any of that. If you're a Democrat, you know what the script is. What what is the problem with uh, education as it pertains to minority uh, majority schools and minority neighborhoods where they're, where the test scores are very low and education is not succeeding. The answer is racism, 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 structural racism, and more racism. If you say anything other than that, you will be crushed by your own side as a Democrat. And that's just sad because you know who suffers as a result of that? Kids who cannot count on adults to have adult conversations about how to make the education system better for all kids and in particular minority kids in this country. And this is the Democrats' fault. This is what they do. I understand what it's like to go through the process of buying life insurance. I had to do it before I went overseas. It felt a little bit weird. But that's why you need to check out my friends at Ethos Life Insurance. Because they make sure that there's no hassle, no nonsense. And they'll find a plan that allows you to make sure that your family is prepared for an uncertain future. This is something you've got to do. It's the responsible choice. And Blink makes it easy for you. There's no fine print or silly appointments or fees that you just really can't afford. Ethos's approach is simple, to blend industry expertise, technology, and the human touch. That helps you find the right policy for you to protect your loved ones. It only takes about 10 minutes to apply, and Ethos is already trusted by thousands. Get a fast, free, and personalized quote right now at ethoslife.com. Again, that's ethoslife.com. Ethos Life Insurance is life insurance that actually fits your life. All right, team, we're coming into the uh, the home stretch here before the Thanksgiving holiday on the Buck Sexton Show. And this is where we can just throw into the mix whatever we feel like. So I feel like, you know what we could do, actually? let's We'll do kind of an extended roll call slash hangout session with Buck, producer Brandon. Just we're here. I can I can smell the turkey in your oven right now. I can almost taste those mashed potatoes you've got going on the stovetop. And so I feel like we're just going to let this uh, sit back, relax, and let the good Thanksgiving times roll. Play a roll call, please. Ain't no party like a Team Buck party, because a Team Buck party don't stop. Yeah, we got Buck turned up to 11. It's time for Roll Call. Indeed. It's time for Roll Call. Autobots. What is it? Roll out? Is that right? I think. I, was, I always feel like our voiceover guy, he's great. I feel like he uh, he sounds a little like Optimus Prime. Uh, all right. We're getting to the Facebook. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton for Roll Call purposes or Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. And something new today. Something new that I'm going to do, because I want you all to follow me on the Instagram as well. It's very difficult to remember my Instagram name, and it's Buck Sexton. Just Buck Sexton. Type it into Instagram. Please do follow me there. And uh, we have some folks writing in on Instagram. So we have a guy writes in, uh, uh, let's call him Cooper, because I'm not sure what his name is. 
He wrote me on Instagram, where you can also send you can send me direct messages on Instagram, just like you can send messages. And keep in mind, the staff here has access to everything too. So you know, family show. But um, uh, we have uh, Cooper writes in. Couldn't find a way to contact you via your website, but just wanted to say, Young Guns is by far a better movie than Men at Work, Shields High, and Semper Fi. Well, thank you, Cooper. I appreciate it. Um, I think that that's. Uh, I think that's an astute analysis of the situation. So there it is, my friend. There it is. An astute analysis indeed. I think that it is a better, definitely a better movie um, than Men at Work. Uh, I'm not really a big Emilio Estevez guy in, in general, but if you haven't seen Young Guns and you like Westerns, it's kind of like a, almost like a hipster Western or something. I don't know. It's a ni- It's very much a 90s movie but it's pretty good i saw it with my brother so many times hunter writes in again on the gram also known as the instagram see we're going to instagram we'll facebook we'll do emails you know we're just having a little bit of a having a loose last session here because i can just i can almost taste those uh the the crudite that you've laid out you know just as a little palate cleanser perhaps some some stalks of celery with uh a bit of a bit of blue cheese a bit of blue cheese dressing to dip in. Not ranch dressing, folks. Blue cheese dressing. All right, let's be civilized. Hunter writes, uh, my name is Hunter, and I'm from Texas. I want to tell you how much I support you. I'm a very recent Christian, and I became a follower of Jesus from a totally unlikely background. I was previously an extremely left-wing uh, liberal Jew. In the span of the last year, all those things have changed. I've begun to be transformed. Because of this change, I've become a huge fan of yours and your leadership for conservatism and traditional values and masculinity in America. But I'm actually most impressed by what an amazing person you are. Uh, Studying the Bible and following Christ with the Christian community helps me see that. And that's what made me want to share with you how much I've changed and been impacted by your example. Thank you so much for being an amazing role model in Christ, Hunter. Well, Hunter, God bless, man. Thank you so much. That's a very, very kind message. And I hope I will. uh, I hope I can going forward live up to that message because it's a very very nice thing that you uh, wrote in so thank you so much um i don't know i see i don't know people's names because i only have their screen and i don't want to use people's screen names without asking them first so we'll just call this guy rob even that's not his name hey buck i was catching up on the podcast as a licensed mental professional i want to clear up a misconception there are many mental health providers who are conservative. However, mental health providers do not have conscientious protection and face a very liberal lineup of higher education institutions, journals, and associations, such as the APA and ACA. For any conservative mental health provider who would like to surround themselves with those who see the truth, the true effects of medical surgical treatment of gender dysphoria, AAPLOG has a new mental health wing working on spreading the truth. Um, I don't know what AAPLOG is. But thank you, uh, quote Rob, because I don't know what your real name is, the mental health uh, professional. Um, I uh, appreciate. I appreciate you writing in. Um, and yeah, I was. I didn't say that all people who are mental health practitioners are liberals. It's just the most by uh, party affiliation. It is the most liberal of the mental health profession. So you have more Democrats who are shrinks than you do, say, have Democrats who are surgeons. And now we will transition. Remember, guys, check out the gram. Buck on the Instagram. I'll probably post a photo of Tallulah 
I'll be scratching her belly, feeding her giant chunks of seared turkey meat. Or I guess it wouldn't be seared. It would be uh, baked. Right? You bake a ro- Do you roast or bake a turkey? Roast. You roast a turkey, right? This is crazy. What's the difference between roasting and baking? That I couldn't tell you, but right? I've always heard the terminology. I can't you know, believe I'm I don't know this. Roasting a turkey. I mean, you put it in the oven, you turn the heat up, you roast it, or you're baking it. Roast sounds more. I know that the sounds, uh, sounds the better. thing with the the fire at the top is the broiler, and you got to baste it too. And you bake. I know what basting is. It's where you, you you drip the juice all over it, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I've never really been involved in the turkey cooking. One day I'll have to learn how to do this myself. I have to learn how to cook that bird. Uh, by the way, I might go see a movie. By the way, I might go see. Have you seen um, Ford versus Ferrari? I might go check it out. No, My but brother. I did finally see Joker. What'd you think? It was it's probably one of the best uh, comic movies I've seen in a very, very long time. Yeah. Because it focused more on, speaking of mental health, focused more on the person and the story instead of the, all the CGI stuff going on. It was, it, was a real, it was a real story that had human connection and, and impact, and it felt, like, it felt like something that people would remember afterwards. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I, look, I thought it was. I thought it was excellent. And people said it was so. It's not. I mean, there's some violent stuff, but it's not super. It's not ultra violent. No, I mean, if it's you're not going like Pulp Fiction and this stuff no. back in the day, it's not like that. No, no. I mean, maybe compared to Ant Man and some of the, the lighter comic movies, perhaps. But as far as the movie itself, I mean, you see any Tarantino movie, those are violent. Very violent. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm. By the way, I am a. I am an anti-Tarantino guy. As far as his I, movies in general, or just him yeah, as a person? I don't like him. You don't like don't Pulp Fiction? Like, I don't like any of it. All right. I've seen a lot of it. No, I know. People look at me like I'm crazy. I mean, I, did you like Inglorious Bastards? Yeah, not one of my favorites by him. But Reservoir Dogs? No. Wait, hold on a second. R- uh, producer Nick, who's coming in from the mothership, he says, here we go. So now we now I don't sound like a fool on radio. Roasting occurs at higher temperatures with an uncovered pan. So that, how, okay, how many of you at home really knew the difference between baking and roasting? <laughs> I mean, you know there's different things, but did you know that? I didn't know that. We need to get the more you know soundbite on the board. Yeah. Knowing is half the battle. Remember that? G.I. Joe. Joe. <laughs> we, grew, we, do, we grew up with such better cartoons. Yeah. We grew up with cartoons that made us Americans. <laughs> you know? yes. Now they grew up with cartoons, it's like they're making them little Teletubby communists. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's not good. It's not good. Uh, all right, so I know what roasting is. I learned, hey, learn something, learn something new every day. It's kind of exciting. David. Buck, you're right about the Euro marketing campaigns. Remember Farfegnugan? It sounded awesome until they started lying about their fuel efficiency and it almost sunk them. Keep up the work. Take care. What's a Farfegnugan? Do we know? Producer Brandon, I might need you to Google this one. I don't know what a Farfeg. I will Google it, but I just thought that was a name you would call somebody. Was ist ein Farfegnugen? Yeah? I don't know. A Farfegnugen? Das ist gut oder nicht gut, the Farfegnugen. What is that? Is that a car? In German, it's a German word that means driving pleasure or driving enjoyment. It's used, used uh, mostly to talk about the pleasure and delight one gets from driving around. Achtung, das ist der Fahrvergnügen, ja. So Fahrvergnügen, okay. what makes a car uh, a Volkswagen. Ah, so, so you find out something new every day on the show. Look at this, a Fahrvergnügen on the Autobahn. This is a learning section of the show where we just do the things where we learn, yeah. Now is the time on sprockets when we dance. <laughs> you know, you remember. 
I don't care what anybody says. Those were the SNL glory days. I'm as happy Mike as Myers. a little girl. What's up? When yeah. he would go, I'm as happy as a little girl. Yeah, yeah. Mike Myers, Dana Carvey. That was the uh, Chris Farley. That was the peak. You go back and watch. People are like, oh, yeah, this guy, uh, Belushi, with his, like, cheeseburger, cheeseburger, and, like, the samurai sushi. That's not that stuff. That might have been funny 50 years ago, man. That stuff doesn't hold up. I know. All the boomers are going to yell at me. It's fine. I love you, boomers. James writes in, uh, I'm having problems with the roll call audio as the other person. Even your normal audio is louder than you. Blah blah. Uh, guys, I don't. I don't know, man. I don't know what the problem is with the audio. We producer Mark gets so he's not here right now. He's getting married in a few days. Yeah, look at that. Producer Mark gets so curmudgeonly. I'm telling you, so curmudgeonly when I tell him, hey, uh, you know, people are saying that there's audio problems with the podcast. He's like, I don't want to hear any of this nonsense from any of you. So. Um, I want to hear it, though, so keep telling me if there's a problem. But I'll just – I'll feed it to producer Mark, and we'll make sure we – you know, I'll give him I'll give him some cookies or something to make sure he doesn't get mad at me. I'll, I'll buy him off somehow. Take a, just, just a, a, little moment of, a little moment of zen here. And we're rolling with Roll Call right before Thanksgiving because I'm here working hard, doing a show for all of you, even though a lot of my peers are like, oh, I'm going to take a three-day – a three-day holiday during the week. I'm sorry. Is freedom going to spread itself? Is the Freedom Hut just going to, you know, do its own thing without us here to make sure that the libs, the commies, and the evildoers are held responsible? I think not. I think we all know the answer to that question. So we get back into this. Um, my man, here we go. Uh, next up, we, we're doing the Facebook. We'll get to the emails if I can figure out where they are. Victor. Victor writes, greetings, oh, great one. What has happened to the Drudge Report? As Master Yoda would say, the dark side I sense in you. Is that pretty good? That's pretty good, right? My Yoda wasn't bad for a guy who never does Yoda on the show. Or, or does yoga, but doesn't do Yoda either. A little bit of grovery. Yeah. Might be the same guy that voices it. Could be. Uh, Matt Drudge seems way too negative on Trump lately, as abundantly clear as a bright sunny day along the horizon. Thank you, Buck. Yeah, people have gotten kind of upset with Drudge recently. I don't really know what that's about. I don't know why why we got Drudge all of a sudden not really being on the Trump train. It's not even that sudden. It's been a while now, but I don't know. Drudge is a uh, is a shadowy shadowy figure, shadowy character. He's uh, elusive, like a snow leopard. You never know where you're going to find him. You never know where he's going to turn up. And I guess snow leopards actually have to stay at high altitude in very limited regions. But you know what I'm saying? Hard to find. Uh, I don't know what the deal is with Drudge. I never met him. Uh, I've never talked to Matt Drudge, so I don't know. I'm, I don't even think he knows who I am, so I can't say that I have anything like that. Uh, here we go. Matt writes in, oh, a little more, the more you know. Do, 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 do. Remember that? Uh, Matt writes in, because I mentioned the sweetbreads yesterday were disgusting, and I'm correct. There's that. Trying to save you all from making the mistake that many have made before. If going to a restaurant, like, oh, sweetbreads. I like bread. I like things that are sweet. Perhaps I shall like sweet bread. No. It is not like chocolate-flavored bread. It is, as Matt points out, the thymus or pancreas glands. That sounds even grosser than what I was talking about. I think I would take intestines over thymus or pancreas, honestly. Maybe not. Uh, Intestines are kind of gross, too. And he also says here that tongue tastes like pot roast. 
I believe you, but let me also say that I don't know what pot what uh, pot roast tastes like, so I can't say if it tastes like tongue or not. I don't know if I've ever had it. Brandon. Hey, Brother Buck and Producer Mark. Shields high. Congrats on the upcoming wedding this weekend, Producer Mark. Marriage is not easy, but nothing good ever is. Just remember the words of Winston Churchill. Never, never, never give up. Praying for you both. God bless you and your future bride, Producer Mark. Back to business. Last night, I was at the Powhatan, Virginia Board of Supervisors meeting where our board voted to make our county a Second Amendment sanctuary county due to the gun-grabbing legislation that the Democratic Party is voting on in January. There's a wave of patriots attending these meetings in record numbers. I haven't seen anything like this since the Tea Party movement. The organization that informed me about it is called the Virginia Citizens Defense League, or VCDL. As of last night, Virginia has had 15 counties become Second Amendment sanctuary counties, and many more have uh, planned to meet. Shields are high in Virginia, brother. God bless you. Airborne all the way. Brandon, sounds like a you know Second Amendment sanctuary thing is a good good move. So good luck and God bless on that. Let me know. Let me know how that goes. Um, I don't know. I hadn't heard about this before. So see, we're learning all kinds of new things here on the show. That is just the way it is on the Buck Sexton show. Adam writes, Buck. Good news. Timberlake was caught with his hands in the cookie jar. <laughs> That's a Jessica Beale, maybe Jessica Sexton after all. There's hope. Shields high. Uh-oh. What did producer Brandon, what did Timberlake do? I didn't even see this. Do we know? I couldn't tell you. I'll have to Google that one as well. How could any man cheat on Jessica Beale? Good heavens. Good heavens, man, I say. It's absurd. Utterly absurd. Um, I don't know if that happened or not. You know, maybe maybe Timberlake was just, you know, working on some choreography super late at night in the hotel room or something. I don't know. He was spotting Justin, that is, JT, to the uh, to the kids, holding hands with a co-star of his, I guess, on some movie set. Yeah. Is that? Yeah. I don't know. Is that a thing? Like, is that? I mean, how? Holding hands a little. I mean, like, okay, if I were married and somebody was holding my wife's hand who was not a, you know, immediate relative or something, like her dad. Right. Uh, I, I, I might, I think that's a... That might bother me, a but... party foul. There could be more to the story, maybe. There the co- could be. Maybe yeah. they were just working on the hand-holding for the next big scene. <laughs> yes. Yes. I don't know. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to find the bright side here. I'm not, I'm not trying to revel in the marital misery of uh, Justin Timberlake and Jessica Biel, even though she was my high school crush when we were growing up, so... She's pretty. She's pretty fantastic. Mary Camden, Seventh Heaven, man, and we were the same age. She was great. She could even. She even even good at basketball. Just saying. I mean, I was probably better. Uh, Gina writes book. Appetite for destruction. Shields high and rock on. What was that? Oh, she. I think she's. I thought that Gina's trying to be helpful. I don't know if she understands it. Brandon, what is your podcast called? Because you have a podcast. I appreciate you asking. Appetite for Distortion, which of course is a playoff Appetite for Destruction, right. their first landmark album. So, producer Brandon over here does a show where he talks about everything Guns and Roses, right? Yeah, and a lot of uh, profile interviews. So it's not just hey, my favorite song, my favorite album. You know, if, whether it's a former band member, or a comedian, an author. Um, you know, is, is there a case you made that Slash is the greatest rock guitarist of all time? I wouldn't think so. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> I thought I was giving you an easy one. You're uh, like that. Nah, nah. no, Who I mean, is? I mean, there's Hendrix, Eddie Van Halen, 
I mean, there's there's a lot. Stevie Ray Vaughan. There's so many. Eric Clapton. There's there's a lot up there. But I'm, Slash I'm not does. But Slash does have a cool top hat. Oh, absolutely. Which he still rocks. We're rolling here with a special Thanksgiving roll call. We're bringing all the voices from across the country. As you're getting ready, you're just. Oh, you can smell that turkey. You can just, ooh, you can taste it. Hopefully you're not stuck in traffic somewhere trying to get to see your loved ones. Oh, that will certainly be the case for some people as they're listening to this because, man, those Thanksgiving roads. We used to go uh, We used to go visit my dad's mother, so my grandmother on, on the father's side, down in Charlottesville, Virginia. And we would drive down to Charlottesville, all six of us, because I'm one of four. So there's four kids in my family, my mom and dad. And we would drive down there, and many times we made the made the trip in a uh, in a a, a Cadillac sedan, like an old school. I think it was from like 1978 or something, and this was in the 90s. <laughs> so a really old Cadillac sedan that did not have air conditioning that worked, by the way, which was not a big deal for going down for Thanksgiving. But when we would drive down there for Fourth uh, of July, that was not always optimal. Um, it was it was suboptimal. But driving down to Thanksgiving, driving down to Charlottesville over Thanksgiving from New York City, it, it's like you're trying to go to do the worst leg of travel in the worst single corridor in the entire country as a as a tradition. But it brought us closer as a family. There were. Times we almost ran out of gas. There were flat tires. There were, you know, incidents of plenty on that on that road trip back in the day. And you know, this is before we all had smartphones and GPS and everything else. So you know, you got to go road trip. There was a little bit of like a little bit of like a you know Lewis and Clark vibe. You're like, I don't know if we're I don't know if we're gonna make it. You know, I don't know if we're gonna get all the way down to Charlottesville, Virginia. Then we get down there, and I remember being a kid. I was like, these people have these kind of funny accents. Like, oh hello, bug. Welcome to Charlottesville. I was like, oh, well, hello to you. You know, it was great. Um, they don't have those accents in Northern Virginia. Like when I worked at the CIA, you go around, none of that in Northern Virginia. But you get down to Charlottesville and people actually have the cool accents. So they don't all say, I do declare, though, which makes me, oh, I do declare. That's not a thing. Us New York, yeah, I know. They, don't, they don't have a fan. They don't all say, oh, good Lord, I declare. That's not a, turns out people in the South don't actually say. I, I learned this when I was a kid because I was a New Yorker. I was a. A Yankee from New York City. So, uh, yeah, man, we used to go down this long, long road trip. So any of you that are stuck on the road and you're in traffic, I'm just telling you, at least you can. Uh, you have Buck Sexton podcast to keep you company. If, if for some reason you make the ill-advised choice not to indulge in just catching up in Buck Sexton podcasts, you could listen to an enormous music library on your phone or on your touchscreen and your whatever it may be. And uh, that's just it's such a game changer from what it used to be. I mean, I just remember being stuck in that car. There's nothing to do except look out the window. Just look out the window for hours and hours and hours and hours. And you're like, okay. And we were on like I-95, too. So there's no charm. There's no charm. That's how I got to know New Jersey. I used to drive through New Jersey. I was like, oh, I know what this is. This is all the chemical plants and the smells. This is New Jersey. I remember when I was a little kid, we'd drive all the way down to Charlottesville. It was, it was quite a thing. Charlottesville's pretty, though. UVA campus is really nice. I, I liked it down there. All right, I said we're doing roll call. I didn't mean to. Take you too far down memory lane. I do remember also, though, eating a fair amount of food at those rest stops. And, man, rest stops have gotten so much nicer now. 
If you go down, you drive from like, uh, you drive on I-95 and you go to a rest stop, rest stop, they're basically like offering you a shiatsu massage and do you want a wheatgrass shot and, oh, they have, they have you know, organic and sustainable turkey burgers for you. I mean, rest stops have gone in a whole other direction. True of stadium food, too. Like, I go to stadiums now and they're like, oh, would you like, uh, would you like some some seared brisket with a side of, of roasted Brussels sprouts. I'm like, I remember when you went to a game and it was like, you were lucky if you could get a big thing of soggy French fries. You were pretty much only guaranteed popcorn and hot dogs. So, you know, kids these days, they don't realize how good they've got it. You know, now, now I'm about to be the gray beard millennial who's calling it out. When you're going, you know, all, for all the young, all the youngins who are listening to this right now, if you are a Gen Z and you're traveling with your family, just understand something, kid. You got it easy, all right? You got your little smartphone, video games, texting your friends, everything else. Man, I used to have to get into a a small, uncomfortable sedan with five other people as a kid and sit in traffic for like 10 hours just to get down to see some relatives in, in Virginia. And that was, a form, that was a formative experience for all of us, let me tell you that. Man, what I wouldn't give to if – if I could have at that point in time had some kind of little video game player, it would have been amazing. It would have really helped out. Or read books. That's a thing you could do. I have not forgotten about that. I have not forgotten that books are a, a possibility for those that want to do that. Jeremy writing in on the roll call. Buck, do you think if the media, including yourself, just ignore the impeachment hearings, they would lose even more traction? Also, with Andrew Yang and Tulsi Gabbard being pushed to the side of the DNC primary, could the Democrats be peddling, dare I say, racism? The one issue they seem to think separates them from the Republicans. I say this in jest, but it's interesting to see the front runners are all old and white. Shields High, have a great Thanksgiving. Have a great Thanksgiving to you, Jeremy. Thank you so much for writing in. I think Jeremy's a, a whoa listener in Fort Wayne, Indiana. In the house. Fort Wayne. You ever been to Fort Wayne, Indiana? Lovely place. Lovely people. I've been a couple times, actually. Yeah, it's nice. Indiana's America, you know? Manhattan's not really America. I don't know what this is. This is some kind of international protectorate with way too high real estate costs. Axel Rose is from Lafayette, Indiana. Is he really? Yeah. He uh, he does not looking so good these days. No comment. He's uh <laughs> he's uh he's pushing sixty. Oh, is he really? Oh, he's not sixty yet, but he's mid to late fifties. Wow. I know. That just that just is my, I mean, I will never think of him as anything other than the guy doing the Axl Rose dance on stage. You know, with like the kind of moving the legs yeah. side to side, that thing they used the to do. The snake dance, uh, the Davy Jones dance. Yeah. And and like, I mean, okay, what is the, by the way, we've never had this discussion before. As people are probably stuck in their cars or, or cooking their Thanksgiving meals or just hanging out. The greatest, the greatest Guns N' Roses song of all time, my friend. What is it? Mm. I think this is an easy answer. So I'm kind of. I think Welcome to the Jungle is the most universally beloved. Interesting. Either that or Sweet Child. Sweet Child of Mine. Okay. I go Sweet Child of Mine. Okay. I think that's one of the greatest. I, I, it's not a rock anthem. I, don't, I, I think it's one of the, I think you could argue it's one of the 10 greatest actual rock songs. Oh, yeah. Of, I'm, I mean, certainly of my lifetime. I could say that. Because people always put in, they're oh, they, this is like what they do with movies, though. Black and white movies are so good. They're better. That's crap. Black and white movies are mostly boring and do not hold up. <laughs> Same thing about older rock. Like, oh, but, you know, you really, if you really want the, the good stuff, then you've, got, then you've got a list. I'm like, the Beatles had as much garbage as they did good stuff. 
Well, they did a lot, so I guess you can't win them all. A lot of it was not not so not so good, you know. I mean, H- Hendrix has a couple of really really good songs. I mean, I, I, I appreciate that you said that Hendrix might be the greatest rock guitarist of all time. I think I could go for that. I could get into it. But I, and Sweet Child of Mine is amazing. Welcome to the Jungle is is it's definitely it's one of those two. Because those get it's not played. November Rain. That's for sure. That's my fa- that's my personal favorite. What it is. I oh like the my gosh. I like the grand. What uh, is the, happening? The epicness mixed in with the rock. I like I like the grand of it. Oh, oh man, I just went for that. I'm, I'm, I'm just, that was one that I can't. Should I get even, Mark back? I can't even remember what's it. Should I get Mark back here? No, <laughs> no, no. It's fine. I'm just trying to think of what the other the other great Guns and Roses songs are. Well, this is why I because you can speak to everybody universally uh, with politics. This, uh, despite the fact that GNR is my favorite band, to me, no matter what generation you are, you know "Sweet Child of Mine." You that's know absolutely all, true. Yeah. So that's that's the point. You can ask anybody in the street; they know that song. It's a fan. It's a look. It's a fantastic song. Um, so, and it's one of those few songs from a. Is Guns N' Roses considered a hair band? That's actually a topic of conversation. Sometimes I don't think so. I think they kind of killed that a little bit. I mean, because they did have super long hair. They did, but, I mean, maybe, because in the Welcome to the Jungle video, uh, Axel teases his hair up, you know, with the Aquanet back in the day. Huh. Would you have done that if you were? Nah, I mean, I would have, those guys, I feel like there was nothing quite like being a true rock star in the 80s and 90s for just, you know, having a lot of fun and doing whatever the heck you want. Just to picture your, your swoop. With Aquanet and, and just teased out as uh, I don't even know what an Aquanet is, but I oh, it's I, like hairspray. It's just like crazy hairspray. Uh, yeah, I mean the swoop. The swoop really. I mean, basically, if I was in a band, it would be a hair band because of the swoop by definition. <laughs> sure. So that's that's one way to that's one way to keep keep things rolling along here. We got a little more roll call coming your way, and then you're going to be eating turkey Thanksgiving, Black Friday, all that good stuff. All right, uh, let's just uh, close out our pre-Thanksgiving show. We should, you know, we should have like loaded in some, you know, some thanks. Is, is there what is Thanksgiving music? Is there such a thing? Is there Thanksgiving music? There should be. Give thanks for Thanksgiving, you know, something like that. Well, know? just like how Adam Sandler does our very uh, one of two or three, depending upon who you ask, Hanukkah songs. He does have a turkey song. Really, turkey for me and turkey for you. Oh, all right, cool. Gobble gobble goo. You know how Sandler does it. I did not. I did not know that. Um, all right, let's get back. Now we're going to take some emails. Buck, uh, wait, no, uh, Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. That is the uh, that is the way to send me an email. So please do send it in. Let's see here. Uh, Jason writes, Buck, your voice is a pleasant combination of Christian Slater and Dan Carlin from Hardcore History. Love the show. Shields high. Okay. Thanks. I'll take it. Christian Slater, huh? I've never gotten that one before. You hear can, a little Christian can, Slater in there? Yeah, I do now. Huh. Who Christian Slater was a little bit of Jack Nicholson, too. So maybe you're a descendant of Jack. Well, I guess that's, that's possible. Um, let's see. Next up in the inbox here, Tyler. Hey, Buck, I've been listening to you for around seven years. Wow. I've always enjoyed and appreciated your analysis and insights, and I spread the word about the Buck Sexton Show every chance I get. 
mostly just want to reach out and thank you for what you're doing. No, Tyler, I got to thank you for what you're doing. That is that is what is helping the show grow. And every time somebody tells me they got somebody else listening to the show, I just I appreciate it so much. It's the single best thing you can do to help us keep doing what we're doing here and do more do more programs, products, more things, more podcasts, more video, more everything. Next, I'd like to recommend a book to you called Day of War which is the first of the Lion of War series by Cliff Graham, who's a veteran and primarily writes biblical war fiction. These books are fantastic. I think you dig them. Huh. <laughs> Here we go. Lastly, I recently saw that Justin Timberlake was seen out with another woman. So the window could be open for you to take a run at Jessica Biel. Just trying to be a good wingman. Shields high. Tyler. Thank you, Tyler. I think, uh, unfortunately, I'm probably not in the right tax bracket for Miss Beal, but uh, it is nonetheless. It is appreciated that you guys. It's like I got. It's like I've got thousands and thousands of Team Buck wingmen all across the country just looking out for, you know, because they, they they want you know producer Mark's getting married. I know people want. It's time for it's time for host Buck to get married and you know make little mini bucks or buckets or whatever. To I don't think we're gonna call them bucket. That wouldn't work. To buckle down. To buckle down. That's right. Um, let us see here. Omer. All right. Hey, Buck. Longtime fan. Love the show. Shields high. Today you played a clip of Kamala Harris talking about her pharma plan. Believe it or not, I actually think there's a good idea presented somewhere in her ramblings. Not the part about stripping companies of their patents. That was obviously bonkers. It was the part about setting a cap on drug prices that is based on global averages that has merit, though not for the reasons... Kamala thinks it does. I'm a Canadian citizen who has worked in the public health care industry and clinical research, and I have to tell you it's true that our drug prices are much lower than yours are in the States, but only because we cheat. Health Canada puts a cap on drug prices that is significantly lower than the free uh, market value of all medication. Some drug companies don't bother entering the Canadian market because of this cap, but most capitulate. The reason they put up with this is that the revenue they're making from the uh, the high free market drug prices in the U.S. more than covers the cost of R&D and regulatory adherence. Therefore, drug companies are still able to to turn a profit in Canada on razor-thin margins. It's in this way the U.S. subsidizes drug prices for Canada and really the rest of the world. Yeah, I've heard about this. Kamala thinks likely putting a peg on drug prices based on the world average will bring U.S. drug prices down to the level of the rest of the world. She is wrong. The drug industry is too capital-intensive and high-risk to exist on such small margins worldwide. Again, the only reason other countries get away with it is they're leaning on the high markups U.S. citizens pay for their drugs. If the U.S. were to stop paying those high prices, the whole industry would collapse. In all likelihood, what this policy would do is force the drug companies to raise the cost of medication globally to ensure the high rates of the U.S. market remain intact. Uh, wow, this is fascinating. He's got more and more and more here. I hope that was coherent. Let me know if you need me to clarify anything. Thanks for hearing me out. Keep up the good work, Omer. Omer, that's fascinating, man. Thank you so much. Somebody really... I've heard this argument before, but it sounds like you're somebody who works in the industry and has a particular uh, expertise and background in it. Uh, Now, here we have Bill, who writes, Buck, is this true? And I can't see what you're asking me other than that, so the answer is I don't know. Daniel, Buck, love the impressions. Even though Warren sounds a bit like Fluty from H.R. Puffin stuff. And your Beto sounds totally like Kyle from the Amanda show. So glad I found your show. Wouldn't miss it for the world. Dan in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Thank you, Dan. Wow, Elizabeth Warren. 
She just wants all the millionaires and the billionaires to be paying for health care that's going to be free for all of you. And then you've got, uh, what was he? Who's the other? Oh, Beto. I just, I think Beto sounds like Beto. I don't know. I don't think anyone else really sounds like Beto. I kind of miss him being in the race because we had so much fun with Beto when he was in. Do you remember that show Duckman? It was a cartoon on USA with a, uh, George, uh, Jason Alexander. There was a, no. a character on there named Ajax that you sound like. Oh, really? So if anyone gets that reference, good for you. Oh, that's, a, that's some vague stuff. I don't, <laughs> I've never, never heard of any of that. So thank you for bringing it to my attention, producer Mark. Uh, let's see. I'm sorry, producer Brandon. I knew that was going to happen once today. I knew it was going to happen once today. Let it go. It's late okay. in the show, late in the show. You guys, you guys are all my favorite. Um, book and Mark, it takes, uh, crazy as a bed bug is an old expression. It's many decades old. You should look it up. All right, man. Sorry. I just didn't know. I don't know everything. And I'm honest with you guys. I, I could be this host is like, I know everything. I'm so smart. I'm perfect. Blah, blah, blah. These people are annoying. I don't know certain stuff. I learn stuff. I'm here to learn with all of you. You know what I'm going to learn, though, coming up? How good turkey tastes. Boom. That's right. It's going to be fantastic. We're going to all have a wonderful Thanksgiving. All of you, you have your homework for this long holiday weekend. I'll be back with you live on Monday. Uh, enjoy your time off. Do give thanks. Hold your loved ones close. Hold your freedom close. And uh, do tell somebody at the Thanksgiving table about the Buck Sexton Show. Tell them to download it on iTunes or watch it on Pluto TV, channel 248. The first, happy Thanksgiving, Shields High.